We continue our theme in our series, Gun Lap. If you weren't here last week, the gun lap is the final lap in a distance race. Back in my day, they gave you a starting gun, and then they had the lap, final lap. In the two-mile, the eighth lap, they would shoot a gun again, and you knew that you had a lap to finish. Today, it's a bell lap. But all of us, whether we realize it or not, will be our, or some of us might be surprised, are on our last final lap that we are to run. However, in this race that we're in, we must choose to want to run the race. It's our choice. No one else can run the race for us. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. Have you ever witnessed someone who really wanted to accomplish something, purchase something, buy something, accomplish a goal, and they set out to do so. And what happens in that journey of wanting to accomplish, purchase, own, buy, get this, see this happen, everything else gets pushed and squeezed out, and that thing, that priority surfaces to the top. And in some form or fashion, that becomes the most important thing in their lives. And the reason it is, is because they want to see it happen. I've witnessed that. I've experienced that personally where I've been on a journey and I want this. I want to see this happen. I want to go there. I want to accomplish that. And what I do is I organize my schedule, my calendar around that thing. And the truth is this, I've watched people, and you have too, and I've been guilty of it through the years, where we'll say, I don't have time for what someone has asked me to do. My calendar doesn't have time. All the while, you watch this person, these people, make time for the very thing that they want while they didn't have time for that. They had enough time on their calendar to do this. Why? Because they wanted that more than they wanted this. We make time for what we want to see place. If you and I are going to have a gun lap for the ages, one that is truly special and not just mediocre, then we must choose to want it. Yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of baptizing Shane. He's in the front row today at Tippy Lake. It was a joy to be there with him. He was there with family and small group guys, and Brandon was there too from Fight Club Brothers and Friends, and it was a blessing to, to be there and baptize Shannon in Tippy Lake. And I was having conversations with people afterwards, and we were eating together, and it was just a great day, Shane. Way to have a testimony for Jesus Thanks for letting me be part of it. And as we were there, I was having a conversation, and, um, and Scott Herring was there, and he was sharing. He said, Jim, you have no idea how Fight Club has impacted men's lives. And he said, I remember, he said, my first chapter of Fight Club, Shane shared in his testimony. He said, I remember my first chapter of Fight Club, you asked us in the challenge that we had to pray with someone and not just for someone. He said, I had never personally ever prayed with someone. I had never done that. And he said, I was scared to death. But he said, I know in order to accomplish the mission of this journey that I would be a better man if I prayed with someone. He said, so I walked into the church that I was going to, and he, you told us to pray with someone that we didn't know. 
And he says, as I'm walking through the church, I see this guy that I didn't know. He, he was at my church. And he said, I kept telling myself, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And he said, I walked up to this person, and I got about three feet ready. To and he said, and I turned and walked the opposite way. He said, but I didn't want to stop there. He said, so the second time I saw him again, and I walked up to him, and I said this. Wah, wah, wah. And he said, I just turned and left. <laughs> ready to give up. He said, but I wanted to complete the mission. I wanted to do the challenge of praying with this brother. He said, unbeknownst to me, God would orchestrate that I would be forced to. He said, we were walking in traffic. His story is probably a little different than mine. This is my paraphrased version, but we were walking together. And he said, I went and moved ahead, still in the church. And this guy turns around with a cup of coffee in his hand, and he spilled it all over my shirt. <laughs> and it was the very guy that I wanted to pray for. He said, you know who it was, Jim? I said, I don't. He said, it was Charlie Miller, who is now on staff with us now. And he said, tears were running down his cheeks because Scott said, I fumbled through words and said, hey, I'm part of this group of men that's called Fight Club and uh, I, I'm supposed to pray with you and I, I need to pray with you. He said, tears ran down his face and Charlie was in his first or second week of seminary. He was homesick from home. He was... He was missing his family, and he says, as I prayed, tears ran down his face. He said, I don't remember what I prayed, but, said, but I'll never forget. I did it because I wanted to. Fast forward years later, Scott and Charlie are both in the same church at Grace Community Church. Young Timothy is hearing these inspiring words, context, from Paul seated in prison for sharing the gospel, chained, rats running through and around his legs, musty, smelly, dark dungeon, ready to die on his gun lap. And he begins to write these words, and Timothy is reading this letter from this veteran, seasoned, grisly veteran man of God. And he's reminding him, if... You choose to run the race, Tim. You got to want to. So he gives us this letter that he writes to him. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this is his letter. And then throughout this series, we'll be using the book of Timothy like we did last week and this week. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 6 to 14. Would you stand with me? And we'll read it out loud together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Let's read this together. Would you read, beginning at verse 6 with me? Ready, read. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and teacher. 
That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know who I am believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You may have a seat. Somewhere along the line, Timothy gets this letter. Not certain exactly how it was delivered or when he received it, but Paul was in prison. And he begins this incredible book loaded with theology and practical theology, how to live out your faith, by reminding him first of this. He said, feed the flame. If you don't, it will go out. So he says to him, for this reason, I remind you first to fan into flame the gift of God. You have to feed a flame in order for it to stay hot. I know a little bit about fires, by the way. Maybe you know that. If you have damp wood, lack of oxygen, or a lack of an accelerant, the wood will smolder. You must add fuel to the wood for the fire to burn hot again, or an accelerant to reignite it. Damp, smoldering fires are worth absolutely nothing. You can't warm yourself by them. You can't burn things with them. You can't cook with them. You're just left with the smelly, smoky shirts and clothes as you walk away. And Paul is reminding young Timothy, who now has been called to ministry, he said, fan into this flame that's been burning in you from the Holy Spirit. Paul is making the turn on his final lap. Heading home, the gun has fired on lap seven after he completed. He's sprinting to the end, trying to give everything he knows to young Timmy that's coming up while sitting in a damp, musty, rat-infested prison. Yet he didn't allow his circumstances to keep him from fanning his own fire. He refused to retreat from the race. He's running flat out, a dead sprint to the end, and realizing he must pass this fight, this mission, onto young Timothy, who he laid hands on to do the work. He's making sure the cause of Jesus Christ is passed down to the next generation. On Tuesday, I came into my office, and I noticed that my phone, there was a red light, which means that there are messages from the weekend. And so normally I go through my messages, my emails, and I check and try to catch up, and it takes, takes time. But I clicked on the message, and I went through my password, and this message came up and said, hey, Jim. And I recognized this voice from the past. This is Jack Hill. He said, I'm calling to see what you're doing and to catch up with you. Can you call me back? 301, very familiar area code, Hagerstown, Maryland. See, Jack Hill was a man that was my Paul when I was young Timothy, aspiring to be a pastor, living in Hagerstown. Ann and I were first married. I was 26. And from the age of 26 to about 29, Jack met with me at 6 o'clock Tuesday mornings at a church 
and he poured all that he knew into me. And he shared some great, great, great wisdom with me. But he said, Jim, I want to catch up. And man, I could hardly wait to call my friend back. Because fast forward, he's, he told me in this conversation, Jim, I'm 79 now. I said, well, I'm 59. <laughs> and he said, I, I've been through heart surgery. I had, had had cancer, and by God's grace, I survived. And he said, God is still good. I'm serving in my local church. And he said, by the way, I just finished playing 18 holes on the golf course, and we walked it. That's my kind of man, by the way. But he said these words. He said, Jim, how you doing? And he said, are you still keeping the fire hot for Jesus? I picture Paul, my Jack, speaking to young Tim, Jim. And as he got these words from the distant land, and he began to read this letter, all these memories of sitting by the light with this mentor. In fact, verse 4 says this, Paul says this, he said, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul loved sitting with him too. And he says, our last encounter together, I remember your tears because you knew this would be the last time that we would spend time like this. I remember leaving Hagerstown with my precious wife, Anne, and our then nine-month-old son, feeling a call to go back to seminary and shedding tears and saying goodbye to Jack and her friends. And so as I read this, it's like, man, it's just coming alive. He reminds him, feed the flame. Let me ask a really personal question to every person in the room. Would God find you running this race flat out no matter what right now? Or has Jesus in his ways become a secondary item to your to-do list if it fits in? When it comes to serving him, does it singe on or hinge on your convenience of schedule? Yet all the while you make time for this, but you don't have time to serve. Is your fire hot for Jesus? Is he your highest desire and love? Is there evidence in this dark world that you and I stand out for Jesus? Paul saying, Timmy, that's the most important thing. And this was a man that was in chains who most likely knew and did know he would die for the cause of Christ. And he's saying, it is worth it. Because when I finish running this race, I'm not running to hell, I'm running to heaven. So he says, for this reason in verse 6, because of this faith that was passed down to you from your mother and grandmother, keep the fire hot. Fan into flame the gift that God gave you, Tim. The gift to preach and teach and share the gospel. Reminding Tim to stay at it, to feed the flame, it's worth it. You know as you age, regardless what your age is, but the older you get, you become more reflective and think about ROI, return on investments. God's return on his investment in you. My mom used to say this to me. She said it for many years. She would say, Jimmy, you earn your keep. 
I remember my first job working at Kmart. And I remember before I left to go to work, first time to have a job, a paid job, I left in my 66 Chevy 2 Nova, 289 engine, power glide transmission. We painted it in the backyard and it looked horrible, but I was so proud of it. But I remember before I left, my mom said this to me as I left the house. It was a 16-year-old boy. She said, Jimmy Brown, don't ever give them a reason to let you go. Earn your keep. Then she said this, Jimmy, work as if you're working for the Lord. She said, Jimmy, you're not working for the boss and even if you don't like your boss, you're not working for the supervisor. Even if you can't stand your supervisor, you're not working for your, 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 your co-workers. Even if you don't get along, you're working for Jesus. So you earn your keep. Why? Because we're working for the Lord. And so I left and I gave everything I got. And that voice continues to speak to me. And all my journeys, make sure God's investment in you, Jimmy Brown, was worth it. What's his return on the investment that Jesus made on the cross <laughs> for you? Paul is sitting in prison and rem reminding Timothy of this. He would say in another writing in, when he, in Romans chapter 12, 11, he said, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. So how do we keep our fire hot for Jesus? Some of us just want our fire hot when we're in hard times. And, and when things are good, we don't even need Jesus. But he's saying, keep this fire hot at all times. It's a short list that he has here. But Paul begins to unpack to Timothy his own personal experience, reminding him of just some good theology that this is how you'll keep your fire high. This is how you'll fan into flame. And so I began to be reflecting myself. And I began to ask myself this question, and I did this week. What is it that keeps my fire hot for Jesus? And I just went through a list. And top of the list for me was this, sharing my faith witnessing to the lost world. And the truth is, by God's grace, I probably share with hundreds of thousands of people. Many of these people I saved with, or I share with, were saved. But let me say, sharing the gospel continues to remind me how precious the gift of salvation is. You know what I've learned to do through the years of sharing the faith? I do it with less worry and more fun. <laughs> Because it's God who saves. I'm just the messenger of the, of the message. How else do I keep my fire hot? Spending time in prayer with other believers. I love corporate prayer time with other believers. I've said this and I'll say it again until I breathe my last breath. My favorite service of the week is Wednesday night prayer encounter. I love coming alongside, and so we sat out on the patio this week and listening to other believers. Let me ask you, have you ever even given it a shot? I heard a, a mom pray this week, weeping on the patio for her teenage son, please, God, please turn his heart towards you. Tears just could hardly speak. And I watched this group of believers around her, the church, stand around and agree. And, and then I thought, 
your son doesn't have a chance. <laughs> you know what else keeps my fire hot? Reading God's Word in a quiet place. Have you ever had a really hard day? We all have. And so you, I go to my office at home, and I'll just sit down, and I'll open up the Word of God, and all of a sudden, this thing that's looming over me, this, this issue, and as I read, peace floods this room, and I'm sitting there smiling in the midst of the mess because of the power of God's word. You know what else keeps my fire hot? Spending time with, with mission-minded believers. I love sitting with people who share God's truth with others. I love ministry trip to hard places where the gospel has hardly been preached. I love talking to my bride, Ann, about Jesus and praying with her. I love when we get together and we pray and then, and then we see God answer and then we sit back and say, man, God's good, isn't he? There's nothing more precious than to pray with your spouse, not just for your spouse. Can I ask husbands, is it a regular thing for you to pray at least once a day with your wife. I love praying with my wife. I, my fire stays hot serving the church and preaching and teaching. And Friday night we were down at the lodge. I loved hanging out with men. We're building this finish line for the gun lap. It's pretty awesome. And you were there. Many of you were there Friday night. And, and we laughed. And I got to see Daniel Yoder walk across a two-by-four 20 feet in the air like he was a spry 12-year-old kid. And, and, and we laughed, and sweat was dripping off the bow of my hat, and, 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 the, and, and the snout of my hat just dropping down. And we, we talked, and we interacted, and we, we, we did life together. And then Saturday morning, another crew came back, and we worked there, and, and we talked, and we, we talked about God. And, and then, 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 then Saturday afternoon, got to go to, to, to Shane's house and baptize him in the tippy canoe lake. Like, I, I come away from those encounters with other believers. Just my, my fire is hot for Jesus. My fire stays hot when I run and pray. Some of the sweetest times I've had with the Lord. And some of you don't understand that, but those who are runners understand. It's more than just the running high. It's a Jesus high. I love hanging with new believers. One of my favorite things is sitting down with someone who's just come to Christ because they're just figuring this thing all out, this relationship, and all of a sudden they realize they got God living in them now. Like, whoa, I never felt that way before, and I, I didn't think that thought before. And they read God's Word, and they, whoa. And, and you spend time, and I, I can recall leading a guy to Christ years ago, and, and, and he said, what should I do next? Like, they want to know what's next. Well, I said, well, it was like a Tuesday morning because we were on the floor in his house and I went over to visit him and we're both weeping and he's praying to receive Christ. And he said, what should I do next? I said, well, just come to prayer encounter. He said, well, what's prayer encounter? So he came and he's sitting in this prayer encounter. It's so vivid for me. And, and we're going around and, and, and praying and this is years ago. And, and he looked at me, he said, hey, hey, Jim, right middle of everything. Like, like he was the only person in the room. He said, how do you pray? I said, well, you just talk to God like you talk to me. He said, how do you pray to someone I can't see? Like, that's a good question. I said, you just talk to him. Tell him what you're thinking. He said, well, I can talk. Well, I said, well, let's pray. So he bowed his head. And he said this prayer I'll never forget. Dear God, 
my life used to suck and it doesn't suck anymore. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's good theology. I pray that Grace Community Church is always a place where new believers find their way here and come to know Christ. And I pray when they hang out with us that our fire is hot for Jesus. I love worshiping at Grace Community Church and with other believers around the world. Isn't there nothing like worshiping with Jesus with other like-minded believers, lifting his name high? My fire is lit. I sat there this morning, stood first couple songs with my family and worshiping God. I love worshiping God. I said this to Ann years ago, and she took it to heart. I said, wouldn't it be something that the first thousand years in heaven we don't know this is true. If God looks, and we see God for the first time, it's like, and we're just bowing down. We can't believe that he chose us to be his children. We're enamored with, like, God, you chose me? And now we're in heaven with all, every tribe and every nation and every tongue and, 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 and country that knows Jesus, and we're just so overwhelmed. There's the three in one. Woo! God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we get a chance to worship him. And God says, hold, hold, hold on, hold on one second. For the first thousand years, you have to worship me the way you worship me in your local church. What would that look like? Would you stand there? For a thousand years? No, and everything inside of you would what? You would want to show him that he is above everything. You want to show him that he is the only awesome thing. You want to show him that he is God, and you would give, want to give everything you had. You would use these things called hands. And you might, I'll guarantee it won't be one and three, it'll be two and four. You will be exalted. You will use all your being to worship God. Why? Because you will see he is good. He is worthy of it. But God will say, guess what? A thousand years worship me like they did on earth. <laughs> Why is that? We laugh. What are you afraid of? These are called hands. What do you do when your team scores a touchdown? And said, Jim, when you said that 25 years ago, my worship changed forever. I like giving my life away and mentoring, leading other men. I love imparting some truths to others. I love leading Flight Club. I... I've been doing it for 20 chapters. You know what? I never tire of it. Because when I see a man and Jesus grab a hold of his heart, I'm in where, where God is moving. Like Fight Club, I'm in every chapter. Why? Because God is there and men's lives are being changed. And I won't be in the center of it to watch it. I love reading stories and autobiographies and biographies about other great saints. When I was in seminary, I had a two-credit course 
and they required me to read 5,000 pages about a missionary. So I read 25 books on Hudson Taylor. I found out some of the things about him I never knew. And every time I would read, I would come away from that reading like, oh, oh, man. You know how else I keep my fire hot? I choose not to be pessimistic. I choose not to let the negative voices around me influence my thinking. I choose to believe that God is in full control and with him all things are possible. You know how else I keep my fire hot? I confess my sin, which is often. Just ask my wife. It's often. Ask my teammates. And I ask God for forgiveness. And you know what I do? I zip it up and I move on. Because Jesus has, says he forgave me and he chooses not to remember it anymore. Why would I even want to remember it? I spend time and get my fires high encouraging others with the promises of God. I love preaching and trying to encourage people. I leave exhausted on Sundays. I am emotionally, physically, I have lost five pounds preaching in the pulpit from sweating. It'll be one of those Sundays. But you know what? I come away filled because like, man, this church gets it. I love listening to the testimony of other believers. I heard my brother Shane as we stood in the water yesterday, and I talked to his neighbor. He doesn't even know this. And I said, what do you know about Shane? Lives right next door to Shane on Tippy Lake. Name's Don. He says, I remember the old Shane. And he said, what we have seen God do in his life has been nothing short of a miracle. And I stood there as proud for Shane as I could be and for Jesus I watched Shane share his story and his testimony. He said, he said, five, six years ago, he said, man, I was tipping the bottle regularly. He said, I was in Kosciuszko County Jail, and someone invited me to church and invited me to this crazy thing called Fight Club. He said, I showed up, and boy, did Jesus change my life. <laughs> See, along the way... We must realize that running this race is not about us, but it requires us to give our very best. Paul says to Timothy in chapter, in verse 7, he says, the Spirit offers us not timidity or fear, but power. The Spirit offers us love. The Spirit gives us self-discipline. In other words, he said this word power is the, is the Greek word dunamis. In other words, you and I are stick of dynamite ready to explode at any moment because the spirit of God is in us and you light us up, watch out world. That's the picture. Like, woo, I like fire. I like that. The ability to overcome anything. But see, here's what happens. God gives us a new heart when we come to Christ. Old things have passed away, but some of you have forgotten what you've been saved from and saved to, and you live as though this power doesn't live in you. About four weeks ago, we had friends, mutual friends of our family, come to us, and we spent time with them. Long story short, he said, hey, I have this wave runner, this Yamaha wave runner. He said, it's been sitting for 10 years. 10 years ago, 
a brand new engine was put on it. We only put 15 hours on it, and then I winterized it for the winter, and it, it ran great 10 years ago. But it's been sitting in storage outside, and the trailer has been sitting in a goat pasture. He said, I, it's got a good engine, but if you look at it, it doesn't look like it's worth much at all. We would like to give it to you. Woo, we'll take that. So I was excited. I took my truck, my Jeep down to Warsaw and pulled into this house. And he was trying to describe it. He said, Jim, just needs, you just need to bring it back to life. It's got a new engine. It's got a new heart in it. 15 hours. And there was a moment we, 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 we rode it on Webster Lake for 15 hours. And we gave it everything. And I went down there. And it looked like it had sat outside for 10 years. It was green and mildew everywhere. And then he pulled out the seats. And they looked like, they looked like a block of cheese. The, the seats had pulled off, and there was duct tape that had even rotted through. And, it, I mean, it, it was horrible. And he said, I said, where's the trailer? And he showed me the trailer, and there was the trailer. The ra- it was a two-slot Wave Runner trailer, and both two-by-fours were rotted. He said, it's been sitting in a goat pasture, and the goats had chewed all the wires off of it. <laughs> he said, but it's got a new engine. And we ran it for 15 hours. And all I could see was this finished product, knowing that the engine's good. The heart of the machine is good. It just needs some work. So I loaded it up on this trailer we did, and I took it home, and the neighbor across the street has a power washer, and I brought his power washer. It will take your lips off. It has so much power. And the wave runner shows the scars when I got it too close. But, man, I hosed that baby down. And I was saying, Ed, look at this thing. It's coming to life. <laughs> I could barely hold it. Just... And I cleaned it up. And, 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 and I, it has traction control pads on the sides. And I stripped those off. They were all rotted out. And so, and so I ordered, went online, never been a, a poster. I mean, I know how to sew a little bit. And you go online, you can order seat covers that, that if you take the old ones off and pull all the staples out, they have these fitted ones. You take your electric staple gun, you can put it back on and, woo, that looks new. So I did that. I put this new seat on. I opened it up and pulled the plugs out and tuned it up and and I ordered new rail, uh, traction controls, and I took it down to the water. And if you look at it today, you would have no idea what it used to look like. But then you know what I did? I fired that baby up. <laughs> Shot the water 10 feet over everybody behind us. I snuck out of the channel, and you know what I did when I got out on the lake? I gave it everything it had, and I went 900 miles an hour out across that lake. <laughs> Why? Because there was a time that it had a new engine. And for 15 hours of its life, it ran with everything it had. But then it chose to step aside, get out of the race, set the goat pasture. I rewired the trailer. But I did what it needed to do to get it back. And now it runs like it was intended to run. I wonder how many in this room 
you got a new heart. And there was a season you ran good for 15 weeks or 15 hours or 15 days or 15 years, and you've been sitting in some cow pasture just off the race on the infield, and, and the mold has built up, and the, the wires have been chewed up, and, and the, the voices of the enemy has come and says, I don't have what it takes, but all the while, the old has passed away, and there's a new heart in you, and it just wants to run flat out for Jesus. All it needs is for you to give it some attention. Paul says to young Timothy, don't let fear keep you from running with everything. Fear surfaces in cold hearts that have been setting in the cow pasture too long. Dynamite is snuffed out in lukewarm water. Perfect love casts out fear. Laziness surfaces in smoldering. Some of you are, just, just put it frank, you are just lazy butts. And our purpose often dies in our insecurities. He's saying, Tim, there's this fire. I laid hands on you. You have a calling on your life. Walk in that purpose. I saw a meme this week that had this phrase on it, and it leveled me, and I hope it encourages and convicts you too. Take a look at this. Is that true of you? Is God being squeezed out and I'm in, Jesus, if I have time? Where has your fire gone? Where were the days when you told the Lord you would do anything for him? It's not too late to run flat out to the finish line. Paul says in verse 8, look what he says in verse 8. He says, Tim... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life. Maybe we are more ashamed to be a Christian than we realize. Maybe we have tried too hard to fit in instead of standing out. Maybe we have let culture influence us more than we realize. Maybe the reason the world is in the mess that it's in is because we've let the standards of the world dictate the motion of our lives. Maybe we have been deceived to believe the lies of the enemy. Maybe we say one thing and do another thing. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. It doesn't appear, does it? Looks like I lost a bet, doesn't it? I have never liked the Dallas Cowboys. I am a Washington Redskin football team player, a fan. I have rooted for them since I used to go up to Carlisle, Pennsylvania as a three-year-old. My mom has pictures of me with my dad at two and a half standing at practice at Carlisle. I was influenced by my dad to be a Redskin fan, so we didn't like the Cowboys. They were a nemesis, and we rooted against them. But, but if that's the case, then why am I wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt if I'm a Washington Redskin fan? You know, the truth is, if I'm a Redskin fan, and I am a Washington fan, if that is the case, 
then I should wear the right jersey, correct? And this is a vintage. Some of you old fans, this is when Jerkson Sonny played for the Redskins. He was a quarterback. If I say one thing but do another, then, then, then I'm following the influence of the world. Isn't that the truth? I'm not a Cowboys fan, but when I wear that shirt, it sure does look like it. I root and follow the Washington football team. But the truth is this. You say you're a follower of God, and you hate the world or hate the Cowboys. Your life doesn't reflect the team that you're on. And Paul is looking at Timothy and saying, make sure you wear the right jersey. Live as though you're rooting for the winning team and not the losing team. <laughs> that felt so good. What jersey does Jesus find you wearing more often? Maybe it's been way too long since you relied on the power of God that resides in you. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3, he said, for you and I have died and your life is now, listen, hidden with Christ in God. My life and your life is hidden in Christ with God. If that's the case, then may your life be so hidden with Christ and God that people got to find God to find you. Paul reminds young Timmy, the living God lives in you. <laughs> Don't check out the race. Bring that wave runner with that new engine, tune it up, and ride it like you never rode it before. Because there's power that resides in you. My Bible reminds me that nothing can stand against me. My Bible says, Jimmy Brown, you are more than a conqueror. My Bible reminds me that the wisdom of God lives in me. My Bible reminds me that all the divine qualities that were in Christ are in me and you who know him. My Bible says, we got Jesus, how could we want more? Maybe we've forgotten who we are. Maybe in your search for significance, satisfaction, identity, and joy, you ended up running in the wrong lane. Where has your childlike faith gone? The term, I'm a Christian, has just become another hashtag instead of a lifestyle. Quit running the race as if you're going to lose. Some run the race as if they're going to hell instead of heaven. Your success on the track ahead of you would depend on what you brought into this place in your race. So Paul goes through this short list. He said, Timothy, God has saved us. It's all his work. You're running because he did the work. 
He said, there's this grace that's been given to you to do the work. Accept that grace. If we extended grace to others the same way we extend it to ourselves, imagine what our world would look like. He said, Jesus has destroyed death here. What is there to fear? It's just a shadow of death. I mean, would you rather get hit by the shadow of a truck or by a truck? He said, all you got hit by was the shadow because when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, God brought immortality to mortality. God changed perishable to imperishable. And we are those people. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You see, the enemy likes to think he's in control But please remember this, Jesus has Satan the lion on a leash and he can only do whatever God allows him to do to you. We all have this gift from God. The purpose of the gift that he's entrusted to us is not for popularity, not for the applause of man, but to exalt God. Suffering should be normal for Christians, he's telling young Timothy. Don't run from it, but welcome it. We don't really understand persecution like Paul's talking about here, but some in Afghanistan do right now. But I know that the devil wants to bring you down as God is raising you up. (laughs) So if you feel temptation and you feel like suffering has come and you feel like literally every relationship around you is, is breaking down, maybe it's because God's about to raise you up. Just cling to him, and the enemy wants to take you down because he's been a keen observer of people standing for Jesus. There will be resistance in the race. God is fully in control, and he stands at the end of your day cheering you on. So how do we find what we need? As a kid, I memorized 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James because NIV wasn't around then. But I I memorized it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Truth is found in the word of God, not in our world. (laughs) Spend time here. Good thinking happens with good theology. And he's reminding Timothy, stick to the word of God. But here's what happens. If we choose to bring from our past everything to the future, then we'll end up far short of what God wants us to be. I worked as a carpenter and built homes for 10 years. And the lumber truck would roll in a truck and he would dump it on the ground. And we would go out and as we would pick lumber to put in the walls, we would cite them. It's called calling, C-U-L-L-I-N-G. And we would look at lumber, two by fours, and see if there were bows or if they were twisted. And so as you called the lumber, you literally put all the bows up when you build a wall. So that when any kind of molding went on a wall, you didn't have in and out. You had the same direction. And often you would see a board that was too twisted. You would throw it out and not use it. Because it wasn't worth bringing that from the past into the future. You would call all that has happened to you, C-L-L, C-U-L-L, from the past. That's what we need to do. 
Some of you might say, well, my dad did this and my mom did this and this happened to me. So because this happened to me and I experienced this and I felt this and this hurt that I'm bringing this in the future. But listen, we are in Christ now. We have power that we don't have on our own. And so you know what I did? I looked at my past and I saw what was brought to me from my dad. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad came to know Christ later, but I knew at some point that I needed to throw alcohol away because I didn't want to bring that into my marriage and my future because potentially I could be passed down that same sin of alcoholism. So you know what I did? I just C-U-L-L-E-D alcohol, and you know what? I'm better for it. I left it in my past. I didn't let what happened take me to the future. You need to do that too. And we do it in the power of Christ. You aren't who you are because of what's happened to you. You are who you are because of what Christ did for you. So as he wraps this up, he reminds young Timothy to guard this gift that's been entrusted to you. Guard it with your life. Go the distance with this gift, Tim. Treasure it. God gave it to you. We're going to sing a song that before you sing it, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's called I Got Saved. And there's a line in this song that says, I'm undone by the mercies of God, restored and made right when you got a hold of my life. Some of you are like that wave runner I talked about. You got new life. In fact, you ran good for 15 years, 15 weeks, 15 months. You got a brand new heart, but you've been setting in the pasture and your life doesn't reflect Jesus anymore. Some of us have been saved for so long that we forgot what we've been saved from and saved to. It's time to go back and remember and fan that gift of salvation in our lives. Would you stand in the rooms here? I want you to ponder these words. And as you sing these words and back to God out of appreciation, remember how good it is to know Jesus. It's the greatest gift given to mankind. May your heart come afresh with fire again. Please, Jesus.